In this episode of the Creativity in Motion podcast, we talk with architects and sketch artists, Lee Percy and Eric Schunk. When I do something that I really like, it feels really accidental. When I do something I don't like, it feels intentional. Well, we think. Let's do it. All right. Hi, my name is Mark Mosry. And I'm Chris Hollow, and this is episode number 16 of Creativity in Motion, a podcast about creativity where we talk with creatives of all kinds to find out why they create and especially how they overcome creative obstacles. In this episode, we're talking with Atlanta-based architects Lee Percy and Eric Schunk. And before we get into that, let's tell you a little bit about Nosy College of Art. Nosy College opened in 1973 as a fine art school and is transformed into Tennessee's only private art college. They offer bachelor's degree programs in commercial illustration, graphic design, video and film, photography, and a brand new culinary arts associate's degree. They have a beautiful 55,000 square foot facility that was built with the artistic student in mind that includes computer labs, production suites, photography and video studios, and a fully stocked equipment cage. Everything students need to get creative. To learn more about NOSI College of Art, you can visit nosi.edu for degree program details, faculty information, and student work. Today, we're talking with Lee Percy and Eric Schunk, who are architects based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Besides being full-time architects, they both enjoy getting out and doing a little plain air sketching from time to time. Lee and Eric, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Pleasure. Welcome to Nashville. Wonderful place. It looks slightly familiar. Yeah, I know, right? A little taller than it was? Yes. Yeah. So let's let's find out a little bit about you guys. Now, Lee, you and I were roommates in college, and I've known you since high school. Um, I've known you since the, the Thunder Chicken days. <laughs> yeah, you still invited me on your podcast. Yeah, which is, yeah. It's a, it's a testament to Time heals something. all wounds. It's a testament to something. I'm not sure what. <laughs> and Eric, we have not met, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I have known Lee um, for the majority of my time since I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was a military brat, uh, moved around quite a bit, and uh, married my high school sweetheart. And uh, we moved to Atlanta for uh, her graduate school. And we thought we'd be there for a couple of years and move back up to the upper Midwest. And we are now here 26 years, I guess, and have two native Atlantan sons. So, And you're both architects, right? Yes. So I know a little bit about what you do. What kind of work do you do, Eric? Um, Lee and I worked together at a, at a previous firm and, and I am now a senior designer with a, with another large firm in, in the city and, uh, work on everything from, uh, front end design work on projects, um, you know, early uh, planning and, and concept ideas all the way through master plans, site plans, uh, plans, elevations, sections. Um, and then I usually help turn over the project to the project team and they continue to develop the, the details. How big of a company do you work for? Uh, we're close to, uh, it's over a hundred people now. So, uh-huh. Yeah, a large Inter- firm. Internationally? Yes, a little bit of work everywhere. Very cool. And and Lee, last I heard you were doing uh, mission critical design. Is that still the case? That's that's still me. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with an engineering firm uh, as a project manager and uh, it's a large firm and we're one of the, probably a top five mission critical engineering firm in North America. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I don't really do much architectural design in my daily job, but, uh, I still do. I still try to keep in, in touch with my creative side through sketching. Now you, you told me a long time ago what mission critical work meant. I didn't know. So let it tell us what that means. It's a broad term that is a little bit more broad than our practice. And, uh, for us specifically, it means data centers. So yeah. we design Hyperscale data centers for the largest people that you can think of, and uh, the the search engine that you probably use, and and the people that you order things online from. So, uh, we do uh, hyperscale data centers as our, our core business. We also work for some um, wireless uh, telecom companies to do switches and five uh, G. So you're all about redundancy. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so mission critical as a as a general definition is anything that would be uh, difficult or costly if it were to go down, if oh. a business were to go down, if a, if a sock store were to shut down for a weekend because the power went out, it probably would be a little bit damaging, but not critical to a lot of people who, unless you're needing socks on that particular. Just weekend. the barefoot people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, however, for a, um, a, uh, a wireless telecom company, if their switch goes down and people don't have their, 
uh, phone working, then that's, that's a big deal to them. So that's, that's kind of the general definition of mission-critical design. And specifically as it relates to us, it's mostly data centers. Project management, project planning, site management, site planning, and the mission-critical data center type work both sound like they come with a lot of limitations. And one of our earlier guests on this podcast talked extensively about how limiting himself was a way to actually unleash his creativity. And so while on the surface it might not seem that there's a lot of room for you guys to be creative in the application of your jobs, I suspect that it is those exact limitations that unlock and sort of encourage you to tap into your creativity simply because you have to in order to get your job done. I, I think that's exactly right. I, I think the, the limitations start to get rid of the blank page syndrome. When, when you're getting ready to start something and you have no limitations, it's a lot harder to put the first piece to the paper. Um, so the limitations provide you the structure and the framework to start out. It gives you the, the ability to, to get rolling. And, and whether your solution is correct or not, at least it gets you going in a direction. And then you can get the feedback as you're going along and find out whether you need to modify that or whether it's going down the right path or not. I agree. And, it's, and, and sometimes it's just about making a mark on a piece of paper. And uh, the, the, the blank sheet syndrome is, can be paralyzing for an artist if you're just looking at a blank sheet. So when I sit down to sketch, a lot of times I'm going to just draw a box that creates a frame within the piece of paper. And I'll say to myself, okay, that's a new constraint for me on this piece of paper. Because I know I never draw to the edge of the sheet, never sketch to the edge of the sheet. And so uh, that's not a realistic constraint for me on that particular uh, sketch. So I'll draw a box or draw a center line through it just to, just to mess up the paper. So everything at that point on the sketch is an improvement. <laughs> That's a, it's better uh, than just a box. Exactly. <laughs> That's a, it's a little mind trick, yeah. right? And it's excellent. I think we, we would do the same in still photography is we would just take a picture. You just set up and you just take a picture and see what's there. And then you figure out how you, you know, what you want to make it look like and how to do that. But that first picture is almost always a throwaway, but it sort of built, sets the frame, right? It, so it tells you what you have to work with. That's right. We, um, I, I had a, a professor that uh, worked at Kansas State University when I, I was an undergraduate student at Nebraska. Um, Mike Lynn uh, was a landscape designer and, and, uh, and a person who came and did a, a wonderful presentation to us at school. And he, one of the things that he had us do was um, to, to get out of your comfort zone to, to start a project. He would have all the students who were there for the seminar pull out their eight favorite markers and he said, you know, line them up on the table. Let's look at these eight favorite markers. And so everybody got them out. We're all excited to start our little sketch. And he said, now put those on the ground. And you get to work with the rest of the markers that are in your box. Um, and so the first thing was that was paralyzing to everybody. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? But the, the thought was don't rely on a crutch. You know, just start something. Get it going. And so then take take one of these markers that you don't like and let that be your beginning in, of the journey. So that, that was something that's stuck with me since you know, since undergraduate school. I've been guilty of that with lighting. You kind of get, you kind of get into like a, a rhythm and you know what works Yep. and it's too easy to stay in that hypothetical box. And if you don't kind of force yourself out of it, you don't learn or grow. That's perfect. Yeah. So that feeling that you had when you set your markers down on the floor and then you turned to the other castaway markers and you thought, wow, I got to use you guys now. Yeah, no offense. Scared uh, to death. I hope, I hope there's no bad blood here. Yeah. 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 That's right. What, what is that feeling and why is that so universal? It, it's scary. It's, it's, it's a leap of faith. It's, it's, a, it's a, a change in your mindset. Um, it, it's a different perspective. It's everything that you can think of that you're not, it, it's out of your comfort zone. It's, it's, it's taking a risk. And so everybody feels that tension and that, that excitement and that, um, that sense of being afraid. Um, and, and then yet when you start it, you look back and, and you can, it, it almost seems like you can always look back and make a, um, make a case for how it helped you grow at, at some level, um, whether it be, you know, very basic or something very deep inside. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic way to pull you out of a shell and, 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 and get you going in a different direction. Mark, you talked about constraints and, uh, one of the, the interesting constraints that Eric and I place upon ourselves when we are doing urban sketching 
is the fact that we do urban sketching. And, and to define that, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's uh, a sketch that's done out in the in outside world, not in the studio. And it doesn't necessarily have to be urban uh, as such. It, it's just outside. In, in the wild. So in the speak. wild. Yeah. And so we will pack up uh, folding chairs and we'll have a backpack with our supplies in it and our notebooks. And we'll, we'll go to a, a place where we think that we'll have good subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are setting by doing that. And I didn't really think about it prior to this discussion, but it does uh, add layers and layers of constraints, meaning that we're, we're constrained to what we can carry. We're constrained to the things that are within a, a drive of us and, constrained to where we're actually sitting, where we can set up chairs on a public sidewalk. So it's a, it's an accumulation of constraints that really lead to almost an inevitable work of art, meaning that just the sum of all these, these constraints that we put upon ourselves and, you know, not that it's always going to go well, the, 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 um, the sketch doesn't always turn out like we want it to, but it's, it is, it's a, it's a framing device that, says if if I were in studio with perfect lighting and you know, we've the weather comes into play when you're doing urban sketching. So there are just so many things that impact you that it, you, you feel like you're just setting yourself up to, um, to almost one solution. But uh, I think that that's an interesting way to think about it is by adding challenges. uh, It it helps to, I think it helps to spark creativity. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I limit myself to drawing mostly with fountain pens now. Um, and it's a limiting factor, but it's also, to me, it's a, it's a very freeing factor because I'm not worrying about what my material is that I'm going to use to sketch with. I know what that is already. Um, it's limiting, but it's, it's, it's freeing too, because I have many different fountain pens and many different inks that I'll use. And I'll think about the different one that I'll use for that particular subject or the day. As Lee said, you know, you've got the weather that affects you. You've got the lighting, the, depending if the sun is out or not. It, it really can can create a, a wonderful image for you or you have to work around that and figure out how to add in some shade and shadow if it's not there. Um, so it's it, it, all of those things, you know, the, 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 the constraints are in some ways freeing. So you guys both are attracted to architecture generally. So the things that I've seen that you, that you draw uh, tend to be architectural details and things like that. Well, it's, it's related to doing, creating art around things that you love. And, it, and it's, it's not a commercial venture for us. We're not um, doing commercial art for, for a, a specific client. So it's just for us. So it has to be, at the end of the day, it has to be a process that we enjoy, meaning just the act of going out and doing it um, has to be something that we enjoy. And then the end product is something that if nobody wants to buy it, then we're totally satisfied with that. So it's social it, as well. I mean, you're both go together. Yeah. So it's, it's a little guy time. It's a workout. It's like, um, I use a lot of baseball metaphors, but it's like batting practice, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you go out, you, you practice seeing, you practice translating that a three dimensional object to a two dimensional page and you continue to hone your eye and stay in shape. You have to keep your chops up, right? Because it's important. Because if, you, if you're not good at that, where you start to doubt your ability to see, then it affects what you do. Yes. Proportion, scale, context, working on shade and shadow, working on um, setup, you know, beginning, middle, end during the process of drawing. The most important thing for us when we're out there, outside of the camaraderie time together, is, is the process of what a sketch is. It's not the finished work that we're always aiming towards. It's what does it feel like as we're, as we're setting up our constraints? What does it feel like when we're putting our bag together? What's the temperature like? What's the coffee going to be like afterwards when we talk? You know, we go through the whole process for us of, of sketching is the thrill of, of being out there. It's not just seeing our finished product and saying there we have something as a, as a final end result. It is, it is every moment that we're out there, we're thinking about how enjoyable it is. We talk to each other. We, we critique each other back and forth. Um, and, and it's, it is, yeah, it is guy time. It's, 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 uh, it's relaxing. It's invigorating. It's all of that. It's interesting to think that you may go to the same location two consecutive days and might interpret it completely differently just based on weather attitude, the gear that you bring from one day to the next. Here's an even better thing. When we sit down literally one foot away from each other and draw the same subject, they look completely different. So we're both interpreting something that we see from the exact same angle on the exact same day at the exact same setup. 
but we we create something completely different um, with both of our styles, and that's that in and of itself kind of gets us excited about about talking about it afterwards. Why did you do that? Where where did you go from here? Where why was that your starting point? How how come you put that much shade and shadow in? What were that? you thinking? What were you thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? In, in 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 all meanings of that, what were you thinking? And and it's and it's gotten to be. We've been doing this for years, and. And I know Eric's style and I know his tendencies and he knows my style and tendencies. And so when we are uh, at a site and we're sketching a building, I'll have an idea in my mind of how he's going to approach it. And then I'm always interested to, to see how he mm-hmm. does approach it and to see what he's doing differently and how he's, he's changing his, his approach to art. And our, it's not like our styles have converged in any way. In effect, I think that we've, our styles have diverged over the years. And, uh, and, and that's because I think that we get good criticism for one another and we're, and, and we're just good enough friends where we can give each other honest feedback about stuff we, you know, we like that they've done or haven't liked that they've done. And the process is one of peers who have kind of respect for one another. It may, it may seem in, to the outside world that we're doing very similar styles or, or using similar media, but to us, it seems very different. And we, and we can, and I can see his signature in, in all of his, his artwork. And if you were to show me an image uh, randomly, I could tell you that it, it was by Eric Schunk or not. Um, but the feedback that we give each other is, is part of the, the process, but the, it, it, this, there's a safety in it um, that, that comes from being good friends. And not being competitive. I mean, the, yeah. the, the best thing in the world is we both want to see each other develop as much as we can individually. And and there's no competition except for the fact that Lee can draw much faster than I do. Um, he'll finish two or three sketches while I'm still grinding through one of them because I'm, I'm much more focused and much more detail-oriented. And Lee is a bigger picture person who can who can capture the gist of something a lot quicker than I can. And that's and you know that's something we realized early on. And it's just me always kind of trying to run physically to catch up to him as he's moved on to another another location when we're out sketching or whatever. <laughs> but uh, but but the great thing is, like I said, there's there's no competition. It's 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 draw the way you feel. Draw what you feel. This is art. This is coming from our heart and our soul. And uh, and and that's why we love doing it. There's no competition mainly because he knows that my work is superior. Wow. Here we go. And, and, <laughs> and he, he, he knows his place. <laughs> I don't mind being the sidecar. Is your, is your chair a little taller? Do you bring this tall chair just to kind of set the tone? He does. It's just a little it's, bit It's higher. a little taller, a little bigger, has two cup holders. I have one. Uh, yeah, yeah. The whole thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you describe the whole process. Um, and that the, that the actual finished piece isn't necessarily, it's just one component to the experience of going out and doing this. And I don't play golf, but I hear people that play golf talk about, it's awesome to go out and play. You say, well, how'd you shoot? And they go, oh, I had a terrible round and you, and, but they, but it wasn't necessarily about that, right? It wasn't about the score. It was walking the course. It was the weather. Mm -hmm. It was the people you encountered. And as I sit here and try and picture what it must be like to walk up on you guys when you're out there doing uh, your sketching, it occurs to me that there's a bit of performance in what you do also. And so you, you also have an opportunity to sort of bring your, your craft and your art to the people, as it were, by taking it outside and encountering people who are probably you know, extremely curious or want to know why you're doing it or who you're doing it for. And then you probably have to explain to them, it's not for anyone. It's just for us. And, and I imagine you've had some really great interactions with people in that regard. Just this last week when we were out sketching a church, um, Lee and I um, were sitting, you know, in kind of a shadowed area um, in a parking lot to get the best view of these two spires that we were drawing. And a gentleman walked up to us and said, oh, do you mind if I take a look at what you're doing? And he started talking with Lee and, and engaging with him a little bit. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. He's like, my daughter draws. And so he pulled out his phone and showed us some drawings that his daughter did of of. Um, kind of the like a Japanese anime kind of character style, and it was beautiful, very different from what we do. But but it was neat to see him kind of get sparked by what we're doing and pull out his phone to share that with us, a total stranger that we had never met before. And he just thanked us for you know show. He took pictures of our drawings and 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 the church that he goes to and and took them off probably to show his his daughter. So that's a pretty neat byproduct of what we do. And and yes, you're right. There's a sense of 
it is kind of neat when, when we do get a chance to interact with people that makes it even a little bit more special than, than just the wonderful time with just Lee. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there was a part of this that initially it, it required that I get over being self-conscious about sitting out on a public sidewalk and sketching. And I'm able to totally turn that off right now. You know, when, now when we go up to sketch and it is a, a bit of, I, I didn't think about it, but you, you, rightly say that there's it's a little bit of performance art in and of itself there's a kind it's kind of meta in the sense that we are entertainment for people when we're simply out there trying to um to to enjoy the afternoon and we do get approached i don't i don't think it's very uncommon for us to set up sketching somewhere if there are people um for someone to not approach us and uh and and sometimes they're asking us for money (laughs) <laughs> uh, or, or telling us a hard luck story. Um, but you, you get that and you've got to be part of, and part of it is, you know, being comfortable with that, being approached by strangers. They're drawn to your berets. <laughs> that's right. I think and that's the, what it is. And the cloaks. Yeah. yeah I think the, that's what it is. The cloaks. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be comfortable with that talking to strangers. You don't have to necessarily entertain them or, or put on a show. We're, and we're two very non-threatening people. So the people, we apparently look approachable because people do approach us. They're not scared of you. No. <laughs> That's right. Not like my, my younger days. Oh, yeah. I was imposing. That's right. <laughs> Much less imposing than you were. <laughs> well, it's like uh, you're, you're, you're not exactly busking for money, but it is exactly. like busking. You're, you're out there doing your thing for people to hey, see and appreciate. Have we been missing out on something, Eric? This is a whole new angle. I was just oh going to say, if you not throw a bucket out in front of you, why not? That's that, that's know, a, that's an experiment unto itself, right? It is the light bulb right now yep. above my head. Creativity you could get like, happening. You could get like dollars. Yeah, I know we <laughs> could, we can make enough if we can make enough to buy coffee afterwards. That would be that's brilliant. a win. That's a win. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the half of it is the sketching. The other half of it is the coffee afterwards. And we always go find a coffee shop and we'll sit down, and and we analyze each other's work. But most importantly, we analyze our own work and we'll talk honestly with one another and in a way that I couldn't talk with anyone else about just how satisfied and and the hardest part is to talk about how satisfied you are with a work of art because a lot of times that's not socially acceptable to to talk about you feeling really good about the art that you did or is is it some sometimes is perceived as bragging or, or or being full of yourself so you know with eric i can say that i really like this i really like this sketch that i did you know last month I'd like to do more of that. And I'd like to somehow capture that because some of it for me in my artwork, when I do something that I really like, it feels really accidental. When I do something I don't like, it feels intentional. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I look back through my sketchbooks and I'll see something. God, it really, I, I don't know how I did that, but I really like that look of that approach to that sketch. And, and I'll talk with Eric about it and, and, I'll, and he'll point out accurately what it is that's really good about it. And in a way that makes it possible for me to replicate it. So I can, next time I'm sketching, he'll say that, you know, you really actually included a lot of shadow at the bottom of the image that helped push the top part out more or something like that as, as an example. And I'll say, oh yeah, that's right. That's, that's what I like about it. And then the ability to say that you like your art is for me is a difficult uh, thing to do. I mean, it's almost accepted to be self-deprecating about your work, but to be, um, honest about the things that you like uh, that you've done is really necessary for growth because you got to identify what you've, it, it, it's helpful when you're an artist to see other examples of work that other artists have done and say, Hey, I'd like to, you know, emulate that and do that work. But it's even, even more powerful if you see something you've done in the past and say, I can do that. I've done that once I can do it again. So I just got to figure out how to do it. So we're, we're a little bit like a batting coach for one another where we'll see a swing that you know, we can't see on our own and make an adjustment. I just want to point out that you know, we started off talking about architecture and how fast we got off architecture and got <laughs> onto plain air drawing. That seems to be where your passion lies. But you can be creative at work and you can be creative on the street drawing a church, but the two are very different and you both seem to be way more passionate about your off-hour drawing than you are your architecture. Is that accurate? Not trying to get you in trouble with the companies you work yeah, for. No, sure. No, that's not a problem. It's interesting. I saw something um, about um, Louis Kahn, the, the famous architect Louis Kahn, who did very geometric buildings. Everything was very, very recognizable, very strong, very sturdy, very geometric, 
strength of, of, of these, these buildings that he would design and build. Um, and then at night he would be painting with these very soft and very curvilinear watercolors with trees and very natural environments. And a student apparently went up and asked him at one of his lectures one time, you know, how, how did, how, how can you do both of these? How, how, how do both of these exist? And he said, I, I'm not two people. I'm the same person. These two sides that you say I have have to exist because I balance each other with, with, you know, what I do in the evening is what, what creates and, and informs what I do during the day and vice versa. And so this kind of, I don't, I wouldn't call it's not Jekyll and Hyde, but it's, it's this, this idea of, of a, of a day job and a night job, or, or, you know, you become a little bit different person at a different time, um, is, is part of part and parcel of the, the total person, you know, it, it does allow you to, my creativity when I'm drawing and sketching on my own informs what I do. I'm, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in my, in my architecture firm because I am not working on the computer all day. I do draw by hand with pens every single day that I go to work. And so, um, I still have that ability to feel the creative juices come from my brain through my arm, out my fingers and in through a writing instrument onto a, onto a sheet of paper. And so I have to create something with my hand every single day. Some people would think, oh, if you do that all day long, you'd go, you'd go off and go be a digital person in the evening. And I can't think of anything that I would want to do less. Um, you know, and that's why I go out and sketch because it just feels like it's what I love to do. It's my passion. It's, it's I, I get to do it for work every day, which is amazing. And I get to do it in my free time, which is more amazing. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, I think, you know, pushing that in, in two different directions, day and night, they both help to inform the other part of who I am. You mentioned a minute ago that, that you're able to say that you like certain things that you do, maybe not everything that you do, but having the ability to recognize when you're happy with something or you're satisfied seems like it's, it's when there's, when your sort of expectation kind of matches up with your execution. And, and sometimes those things are vastly out of alignment. And I wonder if, being able to say that you like something is, is it a combination? I know it's a combination, but is it more an adjustment of your expectation or is it more the growth in your execution that is allowing you to meet your expectation? Perhaps it's different each time you go out, but I think it's a balance between those two things. Well, I'm, I'm getting better at sketching. I do think that it has to do with perspective for me, it, it, it's a perspective that's given by time. And I always look more fondly back on work that I've done in the past than my current work. So for me, I always, if I go back to look at some of my old sketchbooks, I, 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 I like them more than at the time that I executed them. And I have uh, kind of a roller coaster experience when I'm creating artwork and more so than Eric, I think, in that. Uh, and any given sketch, any given afternoon when I'm out sketching, I will start off very optimistic and then have a roller coaster dip in my emotions to the point where on any given sketch that I've done, I think, I don't, can't think of any exceptions. I've at one time thought this sucks and I, th there's no way I'm going to be able to save this, this image. And, and it's always premature and I always recover from that and I always get it to some level of acceptance. And so that level of acceptance might be a little bit of what you're talking about of me just saying that on this given occasion, given the circumstances and uh, all of the other factors, I did the best I could do. And, but I always end up with a, some level of satisfaction with the work that I've created, but I always go through this, this point panic point in my artwork where I think that I just got to rip this up or I got to start over and it's pressure on myself to continue and it's experience past experience knowing that I've, that this is a normal part of the process for me is motoring through several in a, in a row quickly is that a, a way to kind of help get you through that the quicker i do a sketch the quicker i get through the valley right i don't sketch nearly as much as eric does and so eric has been able to push through that a lot more than i have i will sketch a couple times a week but only go out uh, every other weekend or so with eric to do plein air sketching and my sketches take a lot longer time, so I'm in the valley a lot longer. Um, what what Lee says is something I think that everybody can can relate to um, who's going through any kind of creative process. Um, 
again, that, that we talked about the blank page syndrome. When you, when you look at a blank page, anything's possible. Your dreams are in your mind. You see the ultimate sketch, the ultimate song, the ultimate story, the ultimate book, whatever it is. And then the moment you put something to the paper, you now have reality and, and, and definitive um, start, starting point. So whether that point is right or wrong, you now are committed to what you're doing. And so your, your fantasy of what this is going to be has just compressed into a bit of reality. And so from that point, you, I think we start the process of, of a roller coaster that uh, it's not, not turning out the way I saw it in my mind. Um, but again, you, prematurely, we all, we're almost always in that, in that point. And then things start to, to, edge upwards and 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 then the level of satisfaction at the finish of a sketch or a, or whatever creative endeavor ends up being how much you accept what you did through the process to me i mean and again we've talked about process and you'll hear that probably through this whole thing um that's the reason why i sketch i draw all the time because what i'm doing from the very beginning from inking my pen there is a extremely sensual quality of inking a a fountain pen. Um, that's not something you do with a normal Bic pen or anything that you pull up off of, you know, you, you become one with the instrument that you're going to draw with. It becomes part of your hand, your brain, your heart, everything. When you put a a wonderful, um, whatever color, you know, ink you want to use into a, into an amazing fountain pen. Um, that whole process is a process of itself that starts your pre-draw and then, so when you're getting your mind ready to do all of that, then you then you look at your subject and you determine, okay, which ink and which pen am I going to use to draw this? Another part of the process. Then you sit down and you have to find, as Lee and I have explained in, in some of our discussions with folks, um, looking at the subject, walking around an entire subject to figure out where is the best vantage point to draw it. We know we love to draw. We know we love the subject, but now we've got to find the absolute best angle to draw from because why would we draw something less than the best angle? And so you take the time to find that you sit down, you set yourself up, get everything ready. And, and you've already gone through such an amazing feeling, such an amazing part of what the ultimate sketch is going to be that your feeling is already good inside. And then as we begin the drawing process, we go through that, we end it. And, and again, the finished completed sketch is almost a little bit of a disappointment because the process isn't, it has almost ended. Then we go to our coffee shop and then just tear each other apart. And that's perfect. <laughs> so um, it, it, it com- that completes the process. Yeah. The, the finishing of the drawing signals the approaching completion of the experience. Yes. And you know that that experience is going to come to an end and you're going to just be left with your memory of it mm-hmm. and a little souvenir, you know, on paper. And the great thing is that that souvenir, that booklet that we've created allows us in another part of a process, we can go back and, and relook at and revisit our progression as we've gone through our years of sketching together. We, in one notebook, you can see how dramatically you've changed. In six notebooks over years and years, you can look at wow, you can see a lot of growth there. Um, hopefully not a lot of regression, you know, but you see things that you've tried that have been successful, things that you've tried have, that have not been successful. And so it's, it's a wonderful way for us to go back. At, we, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier with, uh, with Lee's dad this morning. Um, we try not to rip out pages of our sketchbook because even if we don't like it, um, you have to live with what you have created that you don't like to get better from it. And, and that's something that we are always looking at doing. And that, that's a bit of accountability that we, we bring to one another. And I think that having a, a friend that you or a, a partner that you sketch with or create art with is beneficial because there's built-in accountability, meaning that I, I would never let Eric tear a, a sketch up, never let him abandon a sketch. Because I understand that there's, you know, that there's something in it that's worth keeping. If not, anything else but just a record of that experience. And, you know, he holds me similarly accountable. There, I know that regardless of whether or not I think that this is going to turn out well when I'm working on a sketch, I know that there's this, I know that he would, he would not allow me to tear up the sketch and give up on it. So there's, there's kind of, it's kind of like a workout buddy, you know, mm-hmm. just to hold you accountable. We have a similar thing with photography is, and you mentioned earlier that you can tell Eric's work. I can tell Mark's work. And it's, it's pretty similar, but the difference is that we're not necessarily putting our work in a folder or a binder that can't be, that you have to physically take it out. Right. For us, editing out an image or a failure is pretty easy. 
Right. We just, destroy, you know, we can, it's, we delete it. It's digital now. It's, it's, it's less tangible. It's easier to get rid of. Does that act like make, it never happened. Does that make <laughs> it less risky for you? It does. I think so. I mean, if we're, if we're experimenting and the experiment is not good and if we're, you know, working out, mm-hmm. right. If we're working out and the thing that we're working on isn't good, there's no reason to keep it. It allows you to try more things, mm-hmm. I imagine. But yeah, there's there's not the pressure of it being in a in a in a uh, a binder or a folder or a book that you have to. There's nobody there to tell us you can't take that out of that book. And right. there is there is something that's very interesting about about that quote unquote permanent record. You know, you do mm-hmm. think about that occasionally. It's not something that you want to be in your head, you know, but, but, but it's there, you know, you, and that's why, you know, I think when, when, when Lee and I get to a point where there's something that we don't really like, it's like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to leave that in there with the other images that I do like, mm-hmm. um, because it feels like it's, ter- it's, it's, it's degrading what has gone on through this whole sketchbook. And so that's something to fight against, you know, a little bit. And yet I think it's important because I, I, I was mentioning a little earlier this morning to Lee that I had a sketchbook that I took to, with me to London and I, I learned the hard way why you don't rip a, a sketch out of a sketchbook because it was a it's a completely bound sketchbook and I tore it out and then it affects all the other sketches in the binding. Mm. So um, in 1989, I learned the hard way you don't rip out a sketch you don't like when you're in Europe. Um, what you do is you you leave it in there and you look back at it and you can flip past it quickly. You know you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but but uh, but let let yourself learn from it. But you're not creating a portfolio per se. You're creating a body of work that. Like you said, you can flip past it. Correct. If you wanted to create a portfolio out of your work, you would pick the best 20 and reproduce them. Correct. Absolutely. And then, yes. And then you could kind of curate your own portfolio. Otherwise, it's really just a, a documentation of your experience. And uh, it's a record, a way of keeping record. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Which we don't really have. Besides yeah. the final thing itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so do, you, that, do you do more curating of your collections now than in the past? Um, or, or is, is, is memory less. so is memory so cheap and available now that you can save just anything you want to save? And, and you can, you just, can save it, but it's not the saving. It's taking the time to go back and look at it. Right. It's the it's the um, it's the coffee at the end of your sketch sessions that allow you to turn and face what you've done and evaluate it. That I think is the real. That's where that's where the work is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where it's like if you're. If you're coaching a team and you go out and you have a practice and the practice is whatever the practice is, if they do well or if they do poorly, what happens, you know, the growth comes when you come back into the locker room and the coach says, let me tell you what I saw out there. And these are the things we have to change moving forward. That to me is the super interesting kind of growth that happens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're recording this right now in in the middle of November and I told my wife two or three days ago that I was really excited that the trees in our yard which we've planted are now entering a dormant stage because and I was really excited about that because I know that this is where they are storing up energy and essentially the life that they're going to reveal in the spring is because of what happens in in this dormancy and it might appear that they're dormant, but there's a whole lot of super important stuff going on right now during this time. To me, that's like that's like the halftime in the ball game or the in the locker room after the practice when the real hard work, you know, gets sorted out and the planning begins. And then springtime comes and those trees shoot up, you know. The team takes the field the next time and they're infinitely better. You go out again and you're applying the lessons that you've learned not just why you were doing it, but the things that you uncovered in your talk and your critique over coffee afterwards, like that is super valuable. Growth is not linear. And I think that, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're describing there. And I find that to be true with, with my sketch work, that it's, that there'll be moments when I achieve something that probably was months in preparing, but I'll uh, create a specific look or, or something that really speaks to me, and I'll think, where did that come from? And I said, well, it's it's not just random, but it's but it is nonlinear. It, it, it'll, it'll make advancements. I find always I'm always fascinated when they announce that they've uncovered another one of Michelangelo's 
sketchbooks or notebooks. And I always think that to me is the most compelling and obvious evidence that creativity is something that ha- that you can learn and practice and that there is a process, almost a mechanical process for being able to be creative. If someone like Michelangelo can have notebooks and notebooks of stuff where he's unhappy with his work and he's getting better and he's getting better and he's getting better. It's still his work, mm-hmm. right? And it is, it represents the growth that, that none of us saw. We only saw when he achieved, you know, greatness, but you never see the support. You never see the experiences that are underneath that greatness, which to me is what I think is so interesting. Speaking along those lines, one of the things that uh, you can kind of think about an, uh, an end product of what we do and, and a, another way to get feedback obviously now is taking our sketches and posting them on social media for, for, especially for outlets that are very, uh, I guess, close to areas of our expertise, uh, architectural sites, um, fountain pen sketching sites, things like that. So it's, it's easy to post these, um, finished works on, on those, on those sites. One of the things that um, that I get a lot of feedback on, and one of the things I get a kick out of by people who respond to those things, are this is a fantastic finished drawing. Oh my gosh, that's gorgeous! What was your process? How did you do it? Where do you start? I don't even know how to start. And so, what I've found myself doing, and, and Lee's done it as well. What we'll do sometimes is take pictures all along the way of the sketch. Now it, it takes away some of the spontaneity of the sketch because I'm trying to think in what segments do I need to stop and take a picture and capture the moment that shows enough progression, but not reveal too much so that I have several of these images to show as a finished part rather than I, I've used a, I've used a camera and videotaped my whole process sometimes. Then I have to work on compressing that down because it's a long process to sit and watch somebody sketch for three hours you're much better about doing that you're much more accommodating of your um fan base um and (laughs) quote uh, unquote fan base i uh and i've been i haven't really gone down that avenue in terms of breaking down how i create my art mainly because it's it feels kind of personal right and and you have you have the desire to to share and you have the desire to help other people along with, with who want to do the same thing uh, which i simply don't have <laughs> and, the, and the best way to do that is with something that's a that's more of a mechanical style drawing something that's more of a finished architectural piece as opposed yeah. to something that if if i'm trying to think of something more from the gut or more viscerally creative for myself i i can't stop in the middle of that and take process pictures. You know, I can, if I'm doing a building that is recognizable to everybody. Um, and I do hope that in some ways that that is helpful to folks that don't know the process or would like to learn more themselves. Well, I'm guessing that Lee, you do this 100% for yourself and Eric, you do this 95% for yourself. I mean, if you're willing to document it for other people to learn, then it's not entirely for yourself. It's partially for other people. I, I was a teaching assistant uh, in, in college for, for design classes. And I think there's been a part of me that has enjoyed that aspect. And, and I do want to pass on again, I'm not going to say that I have the knowledge that, that, uh, is all end all be all, but, but if people do ask me for my opinion, I, I, I'm very free to share it. And I, and I hope that it's helpful in some ways, um, just to hear a little bit about how I, or see a little bit about how I do things. Eric thinks about his finished work his portfolio of work a little bit differently than I do. And he is basically a a more disciplined person, a more disciplined artist than I am, but also he is better at taking care of his finished product, his finished sketchbooks. And he, uh, he knows he can tell you right now exactly where all of his art is. And I honestly don't know where all my sketchbooks are. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're in my house, but I don't know. And I have, no fully completed sketchbooks. I have a bunch of started incomplete sketchbooks. I might have more sketchbooks than he does, but they're only half full or quarter full. And why is that? Why did you stop on one and start another? Because, well, that's just laziness. <laughs> um, but the reason why they really become less important to me is because after we have coffee and we look at them and we talk about them, I'm done. I am absolutely done with it. Now, that's not to say that I don't get joy in going back and looking through them and surprising myself with seeing um, work that I've done in the past, but it's really, I he has more respect for 
the 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 work of art and the, and he has more respect for the process of art than I do. It's mostly a, a process of taking for me and and settling for me and and or calming me or or enriching my life. And so the the printed media that that or the the sketches themselves are a record of it, but mostly just that. So. You, you and I are very similar in the way we approach work, uh-huh. and Eric and Mark are very similar in that I like to mow through stuff and get it in and out, in and out, and feel that the joy from producing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so excited about the end of it, and I'm more macro and less micro. And you guys seem to be a lot more similar than Lee and I are. Yeah, I, I can certainly get into into things. I um, the one thing that we do have in in common, I guess, is is uh, lots of unfinished sketchbooks, and and mine are for a different reason. I I get bored with myself when I when I'll I'll start a series of doing something, and I'll get excited about it, and I'll I'll do ten fifteen of the series, and then I get tired of myself, and so. I need to challenge myself differently and start something new. And so I've got several started um, uh, sketchbooks or series or whatever that, oh, I'm going to come back and pick that up later. And sometimes I do. I'll go back in and I'll, I'll add into it. But my one constant, I guess, and and for me, that is is the dearest to my creative heart is is carrying my my ongoing sketchbook with me i carry it everywhere i go i brought it with me to nashville i sketched in the museum yesterday i i take it everywhere to baseball games to you know anything and and i'll draw everything literally and and that is it's it's my way of seeing things you guys are both uh, you guys have both wonderful uh, photographic backgrounds I remember things so much more clearly for me when I look back at my sketchbook. I think of, I think of the temperature. I think of the food I ate. I think of the atmosphere. I can because I spent between one and three hours sketching something. I really absorbed my environment, as opposed to if I pull out my phone, snap a picture, and move on. I barely remember that I pulled out my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, my sketchbooks from Europe back in in 1989. I go back and look at that, and I can remember the smell of the rain that was falling while I had an umbrella while I was trying to sketch at Edinburgh Castle. Um, you know, I, I can think of all of that stuff, and so, so the record book for me is a it's a memory maker like like I can't even describe, and that for me is ultimately. I guess why I do this and, and, and certainly enjoy the, the overall sense of process. Your sketchbook is your home movies. It is. Absolutely. It's absolutely. more like a flip book. If you took his, his journals, you could probably flip them through and make a movie of his life. Mm-hmm. And you'd want to do it that fast. Cause it's not that interesting. <laughs> but, but that, that, that ability to recall all of those details and intangible aspects of those experiences. Don't you think it's because you were so present? Yes, absolutely. Um, Sketching a, a detail of, of a building or looking at, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm trying to draw something in the natural environment or anything like that, you're absolutely right. The whole idea is that by looking at it through my sketchbook, I'm seeing it and feeling it in a very, very different way. Lee, when you look back at your sketchbooks, do you have the same recall ability? Do you remember the sort of full experience in a similar way? I do. I, I remember odd things. I'll remember Sometimes I remember being uncomfortable in the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember, actually, one of the things that I remember when I look at sketches is the previous or the what happens before we choose a site to sketch. Because Eric and I will drive around. We'll just say, hey, we're going to go to Marietta, Georgia. We're going to go to the town square in Marietta, Georgia, and, and find something cool there. We just know that there's going to be something there in an old you know, uh, town square that we can sketch. And then we'll, and we don't know, rarely do we know ahead of time the subject that we're going to actually sketch. And so we'll drive around and say, that could be cool. And I said, yeah, we did that last week. And that might be cool. I said, yeah, but it's in shade, you know. And so I tend to remember the selection process and how we ended up at that spot. But it is, Mark, I think you touched on something that is the reward for me. It is the, one of the few times in my daily life when I'm totally present and I'm, I'm immersed and I'm in a state of flow where I can, I can get lost. And so I will come out of it uh, uh, when I'm done with a sketch uh, as if I'm coming out of a trance. And I feel like I don't know where that hour went. I don't know where that hour and a half went. But that's what it does for me in my life. But it's, it's a state of flow where time has no, um, you know, no register with me and, and I'm, and I'm fully absor- uh, you know, absorbed in it. And 
that's actually uh, one of the things that my daughter pointed out when uh, my daughter's a designer and she sketches and she's a beautiful artist. We invited her to join us on a, a, a sketch outing one time or a couple of times she joined us and Eric and I, like any good friends are, would joke around and give each other a hard time and, and, and laugh about things or, or recall anecdotes. But she, she pointed out to us the fact that when we sit down to sketch, we sit down and we sketch and we don't talk. We, we will talk before and after, but generally speaking, we are so into our, what we're doing is we're two people sitting side by side, not talking because to talk about something would take me out of the moment. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a total immersion in me. And it's, it's me and my hand and the pen and the paper and the subject matter. And uh, so that's what I get out of it is to get that out of that. So the, the piece of paper that I'm left with afterward is just a receipt from having that state of flow. That's cool. I, that's, that's a great way to put that. It is. It is. Have you, re do you, have you read much about flow? Yeah. I, I read a book years ago called flow by Mikhail. Chicks and Mihai. Yeah. I have difficulty with his name, but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a real aha moment for me when I realized that it was a real thing. Yeah. And uh, he just passed away, you know, last week. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. It's amazing how two things. It's amazing to me how new the name flow for that creative process or that state of mind is in terms of humanity, but how, how timeless it is. The fact that, that all artists have understood the state of flow, but it took this one person and he was university of Chicago, I believe, or something at the time when he documented what the state of flow was and, and he put it in scientific terms and, and I can't recall them perfectly, but you have to have uh, a certain ability to, to do the task that's in front of you. Uh, you have to have a certain interest in it. And, and there, there are a couple other factors, but, uh, he broke it down scientifically, which allows, which allowed people to actually create a state of flow if you follow this recipe. And it's, and it's present when, when Eric and I go uh, sketching. And that's that process, that very mechanical process, which is something I say probably every other episode on our podcast, <laughs> is what I'm fascinated with because of the people out there who seem to think that they quite simply are not creative and that other people who are creative are somehow just born that way or they just are. And it's a huge myth that I, that I think um, if we talk about it enough can be overturned and, and flow is a great example. You should look at his Ted talk. He has a great Ted talk. I mean, he probably has more than one, but he has one about, about happiness, about, about how people and what causes people to be happy. And it ties back into that. It's super interesting, but I've been a big fan of his for a long time. I think creativity is very much uh, when, when you talked about uh, do some people have it, some people don't. And, and that's something that I, I see all the time when people are making comments on the fountain pen groups that I'm in, you know, Oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, I, you know, how, how did you ever start to be able to do that? I think creativity is very similar to a good marriage. It takes, it takes work every day and it takes, it takes time. And so when people say, how long did that take you to draw? you can give them the answer. It took my whole life to be able to draw that because it's not, it, it wasn't eight hours. Yeah. It was eight hours times whatever I did to get to this point. And so it's like a, a good marriage. You, 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 you consciously sit and work at it every day. And, and one of the reasons why I draw all the time is because I feel like I have so much more to learn. I have so much more to do. I have so much more to experience that. And, and again, it's, it's, it's the drawing process that I love. The finished work is nice, but the process is super nice. And, and, and so I draw all the time because it feels that good. It feels like I need to do that. It's part of the air I breathe and the, the blood in my veins kind of thing to, to keep me going. You say you sit together a lot. Mm -hmm. What happens if you don't agree on the angle of the thing that you're looking at? I usually split compromise. Up? Yeah, I, I usually he compromise. usually wins. He so always cave. gets it. Yeah, he always gets it. Yeah. I, but then if he gets the place that we sit, I get to change the music. So, Oh, you listen to music. Okay. Absolutely. We take a little bow speaker with us and, uh, and we always have, some, that's another kind of neat thing about when I go back and look at the sketches, I can almost always tell you what we were listening to when, no way. when I look at the drawings. What yeah. do you listen to generally? I'll listen to, uh, 80s rock, uh, or some classic rock, some Zeppelin or something like that, or. And I'm a crazy prog rock fan. So, is so what is that? 
Um, yes. Um, oh. I've got a bunch of funky bands that I listen to. Lee's not as the, the moldy bread that, so. connection. What's what are some of the names? You've got some pineapple thief. Yeah, pineapple thief. Porcupine tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, good bands. Those are like uh, Comcast password. <laughs> <laughs> outstanding. When you outstanding reset your password, That's it right. sent you like. Uh, it said my neighbor's got a new Wi-Fi. It's pineapple tree. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, Genesis, yes, Asia, um, Rush, uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of good stuff. Well, man, we appreciate both of you coming today, and and it's been great talking to both of you. And I've, I learned a lot of things today that I didn't know before, which is that that was kind of the impetus for this whole thing is to learn more stuff and and diversify the group of people that we ask questions to. And you guys have really helped us with that. Well, what you're doing is valuable. Uh, inquiry about creativity is something that has to be has to be done and for it to be spread and, and to have more creativity in the world. So I think that people are taking action towards learning more about or and just collecting information about creativity and how people do it because speaking about it myself helps me understand myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I've, I've gained from participating in this podcast yeah, as excellent, well. Excellent. Well, before we let you go, one of the things we like to do is ask our guests for one thing they're looking forward to. And I'll, you can choose who gets to go first. Lee goes first. What What is the one thing you're looking forward to right now? Creativity-wise? No, yeah, anything. Your Amazon delivery, whatever. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing my kids again. So uh, they live in, uh, my son lives in Nashville here, and my uh, daughter lives in New York. And so I'm looking forward to uh, getting the family together back uh, uh, getting the family to, together again at Thanksgiving. That's good. I was going to say my next sketch with Lee, but I'm going to change that now because I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's a good enough answer. Um, uh, absolutely, getting together with my kids. Um, you know, they they're both in in co- well, I have a college uh, student. I already right used that. Answer. I know. That's I know. <laughs> I'm I'm following along. Um, I have a college student and a and a, a son who's in a in the professional or, uh, baseball organization. So they're they're uh, both back for. Um, for the holidays and that's going to be uh, outstanding. So that gives me a chance to put down the pens for a little bit and then enjoy family time. Excellent. Mark, what are you looking forward to? Well, um, in anticipation of this question, which I should have anticipated, um, <laughs> you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming and then I <laughs> forgot it was coming. Um, I will say that I realized last night, my wife is going back to school to pick up, um, uh, some courses and she is also working a full-time corporate job. So, She's killing herself to do well in these classes, and her semester is about to end. And I realize that I'm really looking forward to her semester mm-hmm. coming to an end so that we can have more time together um, in the evenings instead of her having to rush off and study about um, cell metabolism and nutrition and, and study for tests and things like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Well, I guess we're all going to be kind of in the same the same kind of boat here um last either one or two episodes ago i mentioned that i'm kind of burning out a little bit and we just i just booked flights and hotel and rental car in southern florida for january so uh, for me if i don't put it on the calendar it doesn't happen (laughs) so i put it on the calendar and by god we're gonna go sit on the beach for a minute that's awesome so i'm looking i'm looking forward to, to to shutting down you know, and getting, clearing my head a bit and starting over. Make sure to take a sketchbook with you. Yeah. Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with it if I, <laughs> if I brought one. If, if people don't know this, Chris Hollow has invented the side gig uh, initially. He was the first to do uh, work on the side. He was, and, and so Chris, you've always had something going on. And and you, and even when you take vacation, you never seem to really take a vacation. So <laughs> That's I, the I hope truth, you're going to, yeah. you're going to, Follow through on this. That's uh, exactly what he said two episodes ago when he talked about this. He's, yeah. He said, I need to go somewhere, but I'm, t- I'm guilty of trying to combine work and, and vacation. Yeah. I, you always think about where you're going on vacation to see if there's something to shoot. <laughs> uh, there's always some angle. There's always something else going on besides. But I'm, I'm really going to try to shut it down for five days and just just be good for five days. That's my plan. We want to thank Lee and Eric for being with us today, and we also want to thank our sponsor, NOSI College of Art. Creativity in Motion is produced by the hardworking team at Penumbra Entertainment. If you enjoyed our conversation today with Lee and Eric, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Online, you can find us at penumbra-ent.com, 
That's also where you can find show notes for this or any other episodes. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are Penumbra Films. We want to thank all of you who found this show online and are listening. We appreciate it so much, and we would love to hear from you. So if you have questions or comments for Chris or me or any of our guests, please send us an email at creativity at penumbra-ent.com. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Creativity in Motion podcast. In the meantime, please don't forget that critiquing yourself honestly is the best way to increase your creativity. Oh,